Hello and welcome to the No Longer Be Children podcast. I'm your host, Josiah Meyer, and we are in pursuit of a mature and stable Christian worldview. And today we're asking the question, uh, how, sh- how far should we follow the, the evidence? What if, as we're trying to create a mature and stable worldview, as we're trying to follow the facts where they lead, as we're using science, as we're using, you know, truths gleaned from liberal scholarship in, in historical research, um, what if the facts don't line up? Uh, what if you lose a debate with an atheist online and, and he comes up with a point and you really, like, I have no idea what to say to this. Is there ever a point when uh, we should say, all right, I'm not a Christian anymore because, you know, the facts don't add up. They, they lead me away from the gospel. Should we believe... Um, I think most apologists will say, and this is kind of the job of apologists or, or why why we do what we do, um, will say you should believe Christianity because it's true. So what about the people and what do we do when you are one of those people that say right now, based on the evidence I have in front of me, um, the, the Christianity does not seem uh, the best... Uh, inference from the evidence that we have at hand. I'm going to be arguing, perhaps not surprisingly, uh, that you should stay a Christian whether you can prove it or not. And this seems like a dishonest and a contradictory um, perspective, perhaps. Um, I have I have always done this. Basically, um, I do want to look at the facts. I do want to look at the evidence. But at times when I look at something and I go, I don't know what to do with this. Uh, This is a big question that I don't have an answer to right now. I've always made the decision to stay a Christian, basically falling back on my relationship with Jesus and say, well, I might have lost this, you know, internet debate or I might, this is new information, say, from a historical class that's covering, you know, the same period of the Old Testament and get some new information that doesn't seem to line up with the Bible. I've always kind of said, well, I'm going to put that on the back burner and I'm going to to look at how to resolve that. But in the short term, I know that Jesus is my Savior. I know that He's my God. Um, This is something that uh, a lot of atheists suspect Christians of doing. And uh, we're often accused of not really being objective, not really caring about the facts, because when the facts disprove Christianity or seem to disprove Christianity, we resort to this and say, well... You know, I still know that Jesus is my God. Um, And no matter what evidence you give to me, I'm still going to stay a Christian. And so I'm going to try to rationally defend why why it's justified to do this move. And in this podcast, I'm going to be pretty much um, summarizing an argument from William Lane Craig. And uh, I feel almost embarrassed doing this because I'm, I'm... pretty much click, drag, and drop, take his whole argument, including his illustrations and everything. There's just a few things I added for clarification. Um, So usually I present my own original thoughts, but um, this time, for this specific argument, as I said, this is a move I've been doing for for years. And uh, William Lane Craig, um, the foremost defender of, of Christianity, I think alive today and probably one of, if not the best apologists of the last century. Um, 
has come up with a philosophically coherent um, defense of, of, of why we can make this move, of basically falling back on Jesus when we can't, um, when we're confronted with something that we don't know what to do, what to do with and how to deal with. Now, William Lane Craig actually studied for his second PhD under, um, under Dr. Pannenberg in, um, in Germany. And so he's borrowing this, this belief from him. But I should actually back up before that to say, uh, when William Lane Craig was studying, I believe at Wheaton, uh, some of his college professors, and they were you know, presenting, here's the arguments for the faith, here's the proofs, and here's some things that we're wrestling with. And they explicitly taught at times, look, if the evidence doesn't line up, if you ever get to a place where, where it seems like the evidence is against Christianity, you should abandon your faith, you should apostatize. And William Lane Craig was, was shocked by this. He was appalled by this. He said, well, um, what if we're mistaken? Uh, you know, science, as I talk about in the liberalism uh, podcast, in the Science and Christianity podcast, I mean, studies on Christianity are continually in flux, continually moving, we're continually learning new things. What if we just have bad information and we throw out our faith, end up in hell if Christianity is true? just because we didn't have good information. How can... You can see why they would say that, because they want to be uh, consistent to... Um, they want to be uh, intellectually honest. If they don't think that Christianity is true, how can they stay a Christian? But it just seemed... It just seemed wrong to him to say that um, we should ever throw at our faith because the evidence doesn't support it. And um, in Marburg, Germany, when he was studying under Pannenberg, I think it's forget his first name, but Dr. Pannenberg. Um, Dr. Pannenberg defended a position that um, belief in God, when we have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, so a Christian is filled with the Holy Spirit, and we have the presence of Jesus in us. And this is something that atheists are like, oh, come on, you don't have that. But, you know, one Christian is talking to another. This is a shared experience that that all sincere believers have. Uh, we can talk about our relationship with Jesus. We can talk about how we felt really close to him this morning. We can talk about how um, you know we sinned, we messed up, and, and, and his spirit feels distant from us, and that, that hurts, that grieves us. We can talk about you know going through dry patches where we don't feel God very much and how difficult. I mean, that's the most difficult thing for a Christian to have. Um, I'll just relate a little personal anecdote. Um, I was listening a long time ago to um, brain science research, and they figured out um, the part of the brain that kind of, it, it, it's what lights up when people are praying, when people are having this experience of feeling God. And of course, atheists will say, well, this is, the, the God feelings are manufactured in that part of the brain. And I was listening to that and thinking, this is our antenna. This is what connects us to the other realm, as I talk about in the podcast of Is, is God an Alien? That I believe the spiritual realm is a, is a parallel dimension in a way, where God is over there, and but he's also here. We can't see him, we can't touch him, but we have a sixth sense. We, we have a sense that we have an antenna. We have a way of connecting to God. And um, when you know, I was listening to this, it's like, wow, that's cool. So there's a part of our brain that's actually, that's how we connect with God. And all of a sudden it hit me. If there's a part of me that's the antenna, that means that some sick, mad scientist could potentially cut that out. 
or I could be in a car accident and and that part of my brain that's that connects me to God could be damaged and I could actually lose my connection to God and um, that thought was so terrifying it, it's still as I talked about it just kind of like makes me feel weak at the knees um, and right away I felt um, you know as often happens a, a Bible verse popped into my head but with it like a spiritual embrace kind of a hug if you're a Christian you know what I'm talking about if you don't you just think I'm I'm silly when I say this but I just felt God's presence and right away the Bible verse that says never will I leave you never will I forsake you and um, I know that God exists because he's in me and so um, uh, Wilfred Pennenberg maybe I think that's probably his name uh, said for a Christian Belief in God is what he calls a properly basic belief. And what he means by this is there's a lot of things we know. And um, I talked in, in the podcast on science and Christianity between things that we're told and things that we learn on our own. But whether there's also, and these are two different ways that we know things, there's some things we know without any need for somebody telling to tell us. Or if somebody told it to us, as soon as they tell it to us, we're like, oh, that's definitely true. And there's no supporting evidence for these beliefs. They just are, and we just believe that they're true. Um, Such as 2 plus 2 equals 4. If you try and prove that, um, you know, mathematicians have... I've heard mathematical people say that you can't really prove 2 plus 2 equals 4 very well. That's just an axiom. That's a basic building block in information. Basic math, uh, we we believe, or repeatability, uh, that because 2 plus 2 equals 4 today, it will also, 2 plus 2 will also equal 4 tomorrow. Um, events follow consecutively one after another. Um, morality. Uh, most of us just know that torturing an animal or a human is wrong. Um, and, you know, we just, you say, well, why? Well, you know, it's just wrong. And it doesn't really matter what your, what your larger philosophical system is, whether you're atheist or Buddhist or Hindu or, or Christian or Muslim or whatever. We look at the, that and we say, well, that's, it's just wrong. And it's a properly basic belief. And for Christians, uh, according to Wilfred Pannenberg, um, the belief in God is a properly basic belief. It's just one of these things that we say, well, we just know it's true, period. Um, without... Without a building block, in fact, um, the belief in God becomes the foundational building block on which we build everything else. As C.S. Lewis says, I believe in God not only because in Him I see the light, but in His light I see everything else. And this is a legitimate move to make because there are these properly basic beliefs. Uh, There are things that we know, there are axioms that are just true. And um, we know that they're true because... You know, we build our life around them, and our life doesn't fall apart when we use them as, as building blocks. Karl Barth, this is my addition to, to uh, William Lake, Lane Craig's thoughts and Pannenberg's thoughts. Karl Barth used this argument for the Bible. And uh, he said um, that if you ask the church where it, what is your holy book, they will point to the Bible. And if you try and ask them, why do you know that the Bible is your authority? They won't really know. They're going to say, you know, 
maybe this, maybe that. They'll have different definitions, but basically the, the Bible is our authority no matter what. Um, kind of like uh, a child. Um, if you ask a child, where is your mother? He will point to his mother. And if you ask the child, how do you know this woman is your mother? The child will say, well, he might say different things. Well, she's the one that sings me songs in bed, or she's the one that, you know, brushes my teeth, or, or she feeds me. But if you really push him, he doesn't really know why this woman is his mother. He just knows, you know, in a properly basic way, she's my mother, period. This, this is some, just something that I know. Um, and in the same way, um, it's, it's perfectly legitimate for us to just say, I just know that God exists, that he loves me, that he lives in me. Uh, it's a properly basic belief. So that being said, now that you understand what a properly basic belief is, um, what do we do with evidence that, that comes against this? Because certainly as, as Christians and you know, educated Christians, apologists, um, Christians that are wanting to engage with the world and, and talk with atheism and, and you know, read liberal scholarship to some extent, we're going to come up with things that, that uh, oppose our Christian belief and that oppose this, this properly basic belief. And uh, William Lane Craig and Pannenberg would call these defeaters. Uh, so, so the child has a properly basic belief that this woman next to him is his mother. But you could come to this child with evidence and say, well, you know, maybe a social worker might come to him and say, look, actually you were abducted as a child. And this woman is not your mother. In fact, she's a dangerous criminal. And, um, you know, your real mother is this strange woman over here that you've never met, that you've never seen. Uh, and she wants to take you home. So you can, against properly basic beliefs, present defeaters. Here's my evidence. And then somebody could take out, well, here's the pictures. Here's, you know, your birth certificate. Here's your fingerprints. Here's, here's proof of, um, that contradicts your properly basic belief. And these are called defeaters in, in their grand system. And we need to wrestle with these defeaters. In fact, this is kind of the whole point of apologetics is, yes, we have this properly basic belief in God. We just believe, we just know it's true. But when things come and, and destabilize, us, destabilize us in our faith, make us stumble, make us question, uh, we need to try and find a way to answer these questions, to get past these defeaters to our faith. And so in a sense, it's like there's two feet or there's two legs. There's the properly basic belief. We just believe that Christianity is true, you know, um, because of the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and also because of the external evidence is the other leg. <clears throat> if one of the legs, you know, is broken or doesn't work, isn't working correctly, we can always lean on the other. Um, that's one way to put it. Another way of putting it is that um, the properly basic belief is, is kind of the center of, of kind of the fortress and our beliefs are outside of that. Um, our, our evidence and in, in our grasp of the world is outside of that. And sometimes the, the fortress walls get, get broken in, get, get broken down. But we're still going to retreat into the tall tower of saying, yes, but I know that Jesus is my Lord. Um, until there's an absolute defeater that, that can somehow crush that. So this is helpful because... Um, it's different than saying my foundation is uh, my apologetic systems. My foundation is my grasp on ancient history. My, my foundation is my philosophical you know, systems or whatever. 
because philosophical systems can be broken, grasp on history, there can always be new information that comes in, a new archaeological finds. Um, there can always be more facts that will destabilize us. It, and if our, if our foundation is built on um, information, at some point uh, we're open to attack. Whereas this, it's better to see it as, a properly, as our faith built on a properly basic belief. And yes, things can come and attack, that can, things can contradict that. Um, but the burden of proof is on them to prove to us why our faith is not valid. And so it puts us in a better position that way. As well, we are justified to hold to uh, and continue holding to our faith while we're working out uh, how to deal with various defeaters that are brought against it. In the same way that the child, you know, he, he's confronted with this information, this woman's not my mother, this other woman is my mother. Okay, so he's going to listen to the evidence, he's going to try and sort through it and work through it. But in the meantime, if, if the social worker will let him, he's going to try and sit on his mother's lap and say, I don't know what to do with this, is this true? Um... And I think that we can do the same as, as curl up on God's lap and say, God, is this true? What's, what's going on? Help me with this. Um, we're justified in, in resting in God, in our simple faith in God, while we're wrestling with, with these things. When we're wrestling with you know, hard issues, like I spent about a month wrestling with inerrancy and, and how to um, legitimize belief in, in the divine origins of scriptures in the face of you know, the defeaters presented against it. While I was wrestling with that, it's not as though, um, well, sometimes it did kind of almost feel like, you know, my faith was in peril, but I, I still went to bed every night praying to Jesus. I still, you know, worshipped him. I still loved him. I still, uh, and we're, we're justified in doing that. As well, Pannenberg says that the internal witness of the Holy Spirit can at times be so strong as to create a defeater, defeater. And this, unless you're tracking with me and, and understanding what defeaters are, you're like, what? And the first couple of times that William Lane Craig mentioned the defeater, defeater, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So a defeater is something that, you know, comes against your properly basic belief. And you need to defeat the defeater with, with evidence. No, actually, you know, we did discover David, um, so this defeater against the faith that there's no evidence for the historical David is false because, boom, we have evidence for the historical David. So that's a defeater, defeater. The internal witness of the Holy Spirit can be so strong that it can defeat all defeaters. Um, we can have faith and just simply say, yes, but I believe that Jesus is God. And all the evidence in the world could be presented against us and we still say, yes, but I know that God is God. Um, and this is legitimate uh, for this reason, that the Holy Spirit within us gives us so much evidence um, of a personal experience with Him that it, it simply overwhelms anything that can be presented to us. And it's like, and Pannenberg presents a very interesting uh, example of this. Uh, he says, imagine that you're in a courtroom and you're accused of a crime that you know you didn't commit. And person after person comes in and there's DNA evidence at the scene of the crime. There's, you know, supposedly you had, you know, uh, opportunity, you had motive. Um, and there's witnesses, eyewitnesses that you were there. There's, you know, all these testimonies to your character that you're the sort of person that would have done this crime. But you're sitting there thinking, 
this is all this all might be true some of the, a lot of this is true but i did not do it i know i have a properly basic belief based on you know my internal world and my memories of of what happened and you know what i observed in the world due to my five senses i know that i did not do it and you're justified in that belief you're justified in simply saying i know i didn't do it no matter what evidence you give me in the same way we can have such um, powerful evidence from you know the internal world of of god's relating to us in our spirit that we can legitimately say uh, in the face of whatever evidence is presented to us yes but i know uh, whom i have believed and i'm persuaded that he is able to keep me um, until that day or keep what i've entrusted him until that day and it's a good thing um, that we can simply believe in God and that we're justified in doing this. Otherwise, uh, just imagine all the people living in communist countries where Christianity was outlawed, Bibles weren't allowed, any sort of theological apologetic materials were not allowed, and atheism, radical atheism, was pushed on all the people. And, you know, people were told um, the same sort of things we hear in liberal circles, but but that's all they ever heard was that, you know, Jesus wasn't God, scriptures were were invented later on um and you know christianity is just a big hoax this is all the evidence they were presented and yet people were still able to cling to their faith um, because it was a properly basic faith and um and that was valid for them to do so because god made him real made himself real to them in their hearts so there's three really strong objections to this way of looking at the situation that we need to deal with. The first one is, and I'm sure you've already thought of it numerous times, what about the Mormons who, whenever you challenge them, and, and if you've ever had the experience of somebody, and Mormons knocking on your door, I actually have it. Uh, I've had Jehovah's Witnesses knock at my door, and they only came once. I'm not sure what I did wrong. But um, I had so much fun talking with them. And uh, anyway, so, you know, Mormons, if, if you really corner them, what they always get back to is either their testimony and say, well, I know that God made a difference in my life. Or else they'll get back to um, the burning in the bosom. That when I read the Book of Mormon, I feel a burning in my bosom and I know that this is true. Um, so isn't this saying the same thing? Now, phil philosophically speaking, the two are very similar. Uh, in, in how they look. Uh, but there's a few things that are going to be different here and a few reasons why I still think this is a valid system even you know, with, with the comparison to the Mormons. First of all, um, the, the properly basic belief that, that God is real or the internal witness of the Holy Spirit in us is meant to be a personal... Um, this is meant to be a personal proof that proves to me. Now, if I go to somebody else... I could tell them about the internal experience that I have, but there's no way to communicate that. And it's, it's very possible that I could be lying about that. Uh, it's very easy to, it's easy for some people to put on emotion and, and pretend they're having, they're relating an emotional experience when, you know, maybe they're not, or else maybe they're able to fabricate the emotional experience. Um, so when we're trying to convince other people of our faith, it might be better to go the route of showing them the evidences, showing them the proof, and then praying for them that God creates, um, that God makes himself real to them in their own spirits. And I believe very powerful, very strongly in the power of prayer, that God is able to make himself real to them. Also, in, in this, as in all of life, um, counterfeits, counterfeit, the presence of counterfeits don't um, 
negate the possibility of the the, the original, the truth, existing. Um, there's counterfeit money out there. Does that mean that you know a real uh, five dollar bill, ten dollar bill, hundred dollar bill does not exist? Well, certainly they do. That's what the counterfeits are based off of. So the fact that there are counterfeit experiences out there does not mean that um, that God doesn't really make Himself known to people. Um, and William Lane Craig in one podcast mentioned just um, talk to converts that have come from Mormonism to Christianity or from other religions to Christianity and see what they say about um, the internal witness that they used to have and what they have now, how God shows himself to be true in their lives. A second objection, and I, I kind of alluded to this off the top, is that um, aren't these emotions just simply you know, chemical firings in the brain? That if you hook probes up to your brain in the right spots, um, you can manufacture in people. And again, this was, was asked of William Lane Craig, and I'm going to lean on his research uh, to answer this question. Um, and so I should tell you where he said it. It was somewhere on his podcast, that is the Reasonable Faith podcast, in the series called An Excursus on Natural Theology. It was around episode 5 or 6. So if you want to find it, you can, you can go there on the iTunes store and find it. Um, and what William Lane Craig said is, for one thing, actually, um, when people hook up diodes to people's brains and electrodes and create religious experiences, it's not actually um, the same sort of religious experiences that nuns have, that... Um, that Christians have uh, that have been observed and studied scientifically. Um, when Christians have a religious experience, it's a very personal experience that there's somebody, there's a presence um, with us in the room, it, a, a personal presence uh, with ideas and content and, and volition and will. Um, when you hook electrodes up to certain parts of the brains and you, and you stimulate... Um, a religious experience, what it is actually a lot more like is an Eastern experience of, you know, connection with the absolute oneness of the universe or a feeling of absolute dependence, as Schleiermacher talked about um, in, you know, my podcast on liberalism. Um, it's, it's a sort of a feeling of, of oneness with the universe or of some sort of spiritual bliss. Um, but that's different from what Christians are talking about when they say, Jesus is with me in my heart. And also, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote about this, you know, going on 50 years ago, uh, or more. Not sure exactly when he wrote this, but um, he died exactly 20 years to the day before I was born. Isn't that neat? Um, it's very sad, though. But um, I get distracted sometimes. There's a squirrel over there. Um, what C.S. Lewis said was, uh, our brain is similar to uh, a, you know, a, a piano. It's the instrument on which our spirit plays. And um, our spirit is, is separate from our body, and our brain is, is part of our body. It's a chemical you know, firing of our body. And it's as though our spirit is hearing the whole symphony of you know, being having all these complex thoughts and being in, in partnership with God and, and sensing things from the spirit world and, and having complex ideas and, and volition. And it plays 
on the, um, the, the various parts, the various nerve centers of the brain. However, the spirit and the brain connect somehow. It plays on the brain, and the brain plays on the body. It makes the body move, it, and you have these emotions and things like this. Um, so if you can imagine uh, hearing, you know, the Nutcracker Suite or something like that, and all that you hear is the piano, you're going to say, well, this is, this is kind of a boring overture or the William Tell Overture, but all that you hear is the piano, um, when most of the interesting stuff is happening in the brass section. And so the brain is one instrument, um, but there's more going on, as far, from a Christian perspective, there's more going on in our spirit, in, in you know, the other dimension that we inhabit somehow, the spiritual dimension, that can't be measured by science. And so science measures what it can, and it thinks that it has figured out what all is going on with the spiritual reality, when in fact um, all that they hear is, is the piano, uh, when we're hearing the, the full concerto. Um, so is, is this religious experience simply a chemical experience? And again, I mean, people will say this about love. And uh, if you, uh, we watched Bones, um, on Netflix and, and really enjoyed its uh, forensic uh, drama. And, uh, you know, throughout most of the first part of it, uh, the, main, uh, the main protagonist, she's almost Asperger's syndrome as far as very detached emotionally, but very engaged intellectually, very, very bright woman. Um, and she keeps saying, well, you know, marriage is just a, a biological invention, just an evolutionary invention. Love is just, you know, firing of different chemicals in the brain doesn't really exist. It's just this. It's just that. It's just chemicals. It's just biology. It's just this, that. Um, and then throughout the course of the 10 seasons, she falls in love and, and she has a kid and she loves her co-workers and on and on. Increasingly, she realizes actually there's more going on here um, than just chemicals firing. Or if it's just chemicals firing, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and beauty itself is is transcendent in some way. So I think she was still an atheist, but it's like, yes, but uh, there's more to it. And so uh, I'm not sure if that helps or not, but um, that's the chemical objection. The third objection is one from consistency. Um, how How is it consistent to ask an atheist to convert to Christianity based on the evidences when a Christian won't convert away from Christianity based on the evidence. This isn't really fair, is it? And um, so it's kind of a fairness argument. How is it fair that you expect me to convert if if you prove that it's true? Um, when um, you won't convert if, if I win the argument. Now there's two things I want to say about this. First is that um, we're all if we're wrestling with our faith adequately, we're all going to get to a certain point, um, either artificially or for real, where it seems as though our religion is not true um, or our beliefs are not true. And maybe this is, you know, we really find out that our beliefs are not true, or maybe this is just we, you know, got presented with information that we couldn't deal with at this point. Um, and that's going to push us back to ask, why do I believe this anyways? Why do I have so much invested in this? Why do I... Um, why is this so important to me? And that's something I want to ask atheists all the time. Um, why do you care so much uh, about a God that you say doesn't exist? I'm sure I'm not, it's not the first time if you're an atheist that you, you've heard somebody ask you that. Um, 
but it's a sincere question. But um, that's it's going to push you to ask yourself, why do I believe this? How much do I care? Um, and for a Christian, that's going to push us back into our, you know, onto the emotional answer to say, because I know Jesus lives in my heart, and that is the most important thing to me. He has made so much of a difference in my life. I don't know what I would do without him. Um, I need him. I love him. And that's why. So, you know, you're out there. You're, you're trying to prove your faith kind of on the battlefield. If you lose the battle, you kind of retreat back into the center of the citadel and say, yes, but I know Jesus exists. That's it. And I would expect an atheist to do the same if he loses a battle and he loses a debate online or whatever. To go home and say, well, why do I actually believe this? Why is this important to me? Um, and, and look deep into his own heart and say, you know, at the end of the day, I'm an atheist because blank. What is the answer? Um, if Christianity, if I could not defend rationally Christianity, I think I would still, I would have to still be a Christian um, because I couldn't live without Jesus. I, I don't think I'm at that place. Um, there's plenty of good evidence for Christianity, but if, if there weren't, I think I would still be a Christian. If you honestly couldn't defend your atheism, would you stay an atheist? And if so, why? Um, it's a really important question to ask. And from any religion, I mean, we would expect the same. If, if you get to a point where you can't prove it, you have to ask yourself, well, why? Why, why do I, um, why would I continue with this? And um, this will push us back onto our properly basic beliefs and uh, to reevaluate them and question them. And if, if people have a properly basic experience of God, uh, then that's going to be something that they rebound from and say, yes, but I know I have this relationship with God. If it's not something that they have to rebound on, then that's going to affect how they deal with that sort of a situation. So what about um, the fifth objection here? What, what about somebody that says, but I have jumped through all the hoops, I came forward at summer camp, I read my Bible, I pray, and I have no internal witness of the Holy Spirit. What am I missing? This is, I think, the hardest objection um, that I have ever faced, and it's come up a few times. Um, the uh, the podcast, A Christian and an Atheist, I used to listen to that. I was a guest on there a few times. Um, and and the, co the atheist co-host basically said that in the introduction, in the first couple podcasts, like, you know, he said, I was raised a Christian, did all the right things, but I never, if I was honest with myself, and eventually I was, I just said, I don't feel the Holy Spirit in me. Um, and this, this internal witness of the Holy Spirit that people talk about, I just don't have. Uh, and so eventually he was just like, well, I guess I'm an atheist. And then, you know, from there he, he said his life's course. Um, in a sense, this is something that, um, it's like checkmate. Like, I don't know what to do with this because I can't somehow communicate my experience of the Holy Spirit to somebody else. And again, my, my experience of the Holy Spirit I can, I can tell somebody about that, and somebody can say, well, I want that. And if somebody's willing to work with me, you know, we can, we can pray together, we can fast together, we can, you know, walk together, um, 
and really sincerely seek God's Spirit together. Um, but I can't, my experience of God is not going to be the same as yours, and I can't somehow partake that to somebody else. So this is really an issue that pushes us back on prayer and to say, man, we just need to pray for this guy to have an experience of the Holy Spirit. Um, what I have done in the past when people have said things like this is to talk about times when I have not felt God's Spirit and uh, times that I haven't felt God's Spirit have usually been times when there have been big sins in my life. Um, there's a season in my life when I really struggled with pornography uh, in my late teens and um, early adulthood and well, mostly late teens. And, you know, I just really didn't feel much of God during that time, even though I was repenting, even though I was, you know, um, getting up and trying again. It was a really dark season for me. And so, you know, there's that possibility. But there's also the possibility, and, you know, I recently went through a season of sincere obedience to God, um, an extreme hardship, and um, didn't really feel God's spirit a lot during that time kind of felt abandoned by God my wife and I both and um, you know God does that sometimes to us to to prove our faith and to test us so it's it's in God's hands I don't know why God reveals himself so strongly to some people and not to others it's enough to make one a Calvinist because that was kind of Calvin's main reason or, or one of his his reasons for saying you know some people are elect and some people aren't as he said you know some people just have this experience of the Holy Spirit. Some people don't. Um, what, and, and he just said, well, some people are elect, some people aren't. And as I say that, um, I feel like, speaking of the internal witness of the Holy Spirit, I feel like God just uh, laid, a, laid a Bible verse on me. And um, I'm kind of chuckling right now as I say this because I switched over to my Bible app and it cut off the recording. And so I, I had this great time. And I was praying, and I was, like, sharing my heart, and I realized I wasn't recording, so I was just talking to myself. And, and God, of course, um, it's just kind of funny. Podcasting is kind of a funny thing anyways. You know, I'm just out on my porch talking to myself. But at least if I'm recording, I'm talking to myself. Anyways. So uh, in Luke in Luke 11, it says, um, which, of you, if I fought, which of you fathers, if your son asks him for a fish, uh, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a loaf of bread, will he give him a snake? No, of course not. Um, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more can the Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Or give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And um, I don't know what to do with people that say they've asked for the Holy Spirit and God hasn't given it to them. Um, I really don't know. Uh, but that's between them and God. Um, I'm tempted to look for a solution, like, well, maybe there's too much sin in your life, you didn't ask with enough faith. I mean, I don't know. This is, again, it's between you and God. But I can say with assurance that God has promised us, if we ask um, for more of the Holy Spirit, He will give it to us. And, you know, along with that, Jesus mentioned another proverb about um, the woman who was asking an unjust judge for justice, and the judge said no. And she said, I, don't, I want justice. And he said, no. And every day she would badger him, badger him, badger him, badger him, until finally one day he said, okay, I'll give you justice. And he said, how much more? Continue, be persevering in your prayers, and God will answer you.
So, on that note, let's uh, end in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would um, fill us with your Holy Spirit. And uh, there's people listening to this that have never experienced you. And um, they're missing out on so much of um, what makes life worth living for me. And um, I pray on their behalf that they would be filled with your Holy Spirit. And that... um, this, this reality that we share. I pray that you would make it theirs and um, make yourself real to them and give them that properly basic belief that um, that they can cling to even in the face of, of arguments um, and evidence to, the, evidence to the contrary. And I just thank you for this day and for um, technology we have that can uh, we can share our experiences and our thoughts together. Amen.